invites us to think about this in his letter to the Roman church. This is Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were all still sinners, Christ died for us. What a beautiful reality that even though we all know there are things that we have done probably just this morning, but in this past week that we're not always proud of because we're not following that perfect way of love that Christ laid down for us, we can still have faith and confidence that God has won the victory for us, that has given us our lives back. But we do want to pray today and just acknowledge, be honest, you know what? We don't have this all figured out, but good news is God does. Let's pray together. Lord, we are honest this morning. We are honest about the ways in which we have not followed that perfect way of love that you have set down for us. We have thought so much about ourselves in this past week, about our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. Lord, we confess that our, our heart's desire is for our own benefit and interest, even to preserve our own life. When you have already given us our life, you have already won for us our life. And so we, Lord, are, are here to, to ask for, again, your spirit to give us a renewed sense of the purpose of our life. To follow your example of being sacrificial in helping and loving, supporting and giving ourselves for others. Lord, as a church, we also... We want to be honest that as a church, we have not always been completely interested in things that are for others. Lord, help us and, and forgive us too when as a church we are more interested in things about our institution. Lord, thank you that your spirit is here and alive among your people. And that in River of the Valley, we can, we, can, we can rest upon that sure and stable foundation that you are guiding us forward. Thank you for that promise that you are always with us and that you promised to be with us until the very end where we give our lives to you, saying thank you and use us. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's, let's have a vocal response to what the Lord has done in each of our lives and saving us even while yet sinners.
feel free to have a seat here in our beautiful worship space. Welcome again if, if you got here after the first welcome. Welcome again here to worship. I am grateful and extend, just like Christ extends his arms out and welcomes all into his presence. So we do the same as a church. We, we extend our arms wide as a church. And, and our prayer, our hope, is that each and every time that you gather here together with, with our worship team and as, as God's people, that this would be a time in which you don't only leave positive and happy. In fact, you might leave even feeling challenged at times, but the point is that we are doing this for the Lord and you have a deep sense you're connecting with what matters most about your life, what matters most about life. And that's listening to what the Lord God has told us about ourselves, about God's self, and about what, what God has created us to do and to be, how we are oriented. So when you're here together, it's, it's that encounter with the living one, with the living God. It's not just singing the songs. It's not just listening to someone praying. We do this knowing that God is invisible and yet real. The presence of God is something that is real, and we acknowledge that as a church. And there are not other times in your life during the week where you get to do that. There's not a group of people that are going to sit around like the church does and tries to take life seriously to the point that we are, we are coming before God and saying, okay, we don't have this figured out. We need, we need to learn from you. That's what we do when we're coming together. Today, we're going to look at Acts 2, so you can either um, turn on your Bibles, open your Bibles, Acts 2. We're going to be in the end of Acts 2. And today is kind of a bookend of this time in which we're talking about our church, a little bit about who we are and what we imagine people will be gaining or doing when they're a part of our church. And we're going to end with Acts 2 because this is where we started with our leadership team in the beginning of the year. For a couple months, the passage that we're about to read was before us as a, a leadership team. And every time we gathered for those couple of months, we prayerfully reread what we're about to hear. And then we began to ask the question, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? And that's what we're going to talk a little about today. So this is Acts 2. The very end, verses 42 through 47. Listen now for God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is a, a snapshot. We used to call these a Kodak moment back when we actually had film and you would take a camera and you would 
have to take your film and go develop it, and you could only capture one moment in time. Now with our with our our phones, we just have an endless stream of ability to to capture every moment, to video every moment. Not so before, and particularly back here, there were no there were no iPhones. The, the, this this is what we have. This is the snapshot in time. And remember that these people were the ones who had walked with the Lord Jesus for for years, and Jesus had been baking into them his vision for what it was like to be human. And and then as he ascended and as he left that movement that he was starting, now it was the role of these first followers to put it into practice. Think of that that moment when those original disciples understood clearly at last that Jesus would not be with them physically and that now they were to take what they had learned and put it into practice. I'm sure it was in some ways kind of exciting, but at the same time also a little bit intimidating. It's a big ask. Go ahead and take what God has told you would be the perfect way to live together, and then I'm not going to be here anymore. Go ahead and do it. And that's what we have here. This is what those first Christians, those first followers of Jesus, this is how they understood the gospel being put into practice in community. Now, I don't think it would be helpful for us to study what uh, that first community looked like and then simply try and take that action and replicate it right now in the exact same way. There is 2,000 years of difference in culture and uh, rhythms and, and societal realities, but I think it's critical that we see what their motivations are, that we see what, what's, what is the, the, their hearts, what they see that vision is that then they took and were able to put it into practice in this way. And that's what we're gonna do right now, that's what the leadership team was doing trying to understand what what was the vision that they were putting into practice what did that look like in real time they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There is a group of people that you know of that meet regularly every day and that eat together every day. And that if someone has a need financially, they're willing to give out of their own pocket for that person. Where is that place? Your home. Your home. What we are being described here is a family. People that understand that they are now been brought into brothers and, and sisters under one Lord and Savior. There is an intimacy. There's an intimacy to this first group of followers. 
after having been with Jesus, hearing what he had taught them, the outcome for them was to form a community that was as intimate as a family. You know, we, we hold our possessions and our resources tightly, don't we? I think this is the true measure of how effective this gospel was, the fact that they were willing to open up their hands with their resources. They're willing to open up their hands with their resources and put it out on the table and say, we're going we're gonna to live in such a way, in such an intimate community, that what I, what I have is yours. That what I have is yours. And, and the second way to say that is they were so bought into what Jesus had done and what he wanted to do through them that now all that mattered was leveraging everything that they were to see the vision of Jesus come to life. To put their money there where, where the church, where the community would meet and figure out how can we, how can we use the resource of our life, of our finances, of the the land that we're going to sell. How can we use everything to put this amazing gospel, this amazing vision of Jesus that he has left with us, how do we put that into practice? I think there may be no other sign of, of the way that the disciples had seen this being truth than the way that they responded after Jesus left, right? One would be that they were all willing to be killed, to be martyred for their faith. You're not willing to die for something if you don't believe it's true. And secondly, the way that they began to use the life they had left and even using their resources, their financial resources, leveraging their what we would call today our, their futures <laughs> for the good of the community and the church. In verse... The beginning, the verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The word devoted there, um, it's, it's, it's one of those words in Greek that's really long because it's made up of a few different words. And it essentially means moving towards a steadfast commitment. And the idea being that it's steadfast even if it gets difficult. Enduring even if there's hardship. The first verb that's used of the early church here in this description, in this Kodak moment, the first verb is that they were all, they were moving towards a steadfast endurance, perseverance, and commitment to the community. So often for the, the church, I, I think we have undervalued, and I'm talking about churches, not just River of the Valley. We have undervalued the church community as a manifestation of the gospel right now. So as the leaders were looking at this passage, one of the key elements was this idea of intimate community. And as we looked at our church and tried to see you know how a river, as it begins, um, is a stream. But then over time, it, it cuts into the ground, and there's erosion. And eventually, you get something like the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it is almost impossible to 
consider that a river cut that thing out. It's, it's, if you stand there and you look at it, but what we do also as a church is we step back and you can see how the Holy Spirit has been carving out who we are as a church over time. One of the things that the leaders step back and see is, well, we have been kind of a Pentecostal type church in the sense that um, people from all different tribes, tongues, nations have come together to be in this church. Just like that day of Pentecost, just like the Jerusalem church. Imagine here we have, it says that after the day of Pentecost, thousands of new believers were joined to that church. But at Pentecost, they were given the ability to speak in a lot of different languages, right? So what does that mean about that thousands of people who began all of a sudden gathering together? Could they all just speak one language and understand each other? It was kind of like River of the Valley. They had to speak different languages in order to be understood by everybody. But they all gathered together. They understood the oneness of that family. They all put the possessions on the table for everybody there. So we thought about that. That's one of something that has, the Lord has been doing and carving out among us. We, and this is how we described it, we have a church that has one table. It's one of our values. Our church has one table. That's something that we think the Lord has been doing with us and also now is a challenge for us to continue to develop as we move forward. So like that middle time in worship now where it's bilingual for those 15 minutes, it's a moment for us to celebrate and lean into the fact that we have one table as a church. And just like the word begins here, for us, it, of, it often will mean the devoted word of, of moving towards steadfastly, even if there's hardship, even if it's a little difficult. The other thing that we value highly as a church around here is God's word. You can see here that the very first aspect of their devotion was to what? The apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. And this first instance of breaking of bread into prayer is probably a allusion to the Lord's Supper. They say It says later in the passage that when in their homes they would break bread. That's probably having dinner. But here, apostles teaching prayer and the breaking of bread, they're talking about what we do in, in celebrating communion together. The words that we came up with are that we are daring to follow the vision of Jesus as a church. And as we, as we are adhering to God's word, as we make that a foundation, we dare as a church to listen and follow. Even, even at expense, we are willing to do this. It's something that we are willing to, to sacrifice for. It's following God's word. It's, it's having a worship service and having a time in which communion is practiced the right way. It's daring to follow this um, this word of the Lord, this vision that Jesus has given to us as a church that's central to us. And, and the third thing that we came up with is part of this idea of, of the intimacy also of, of the community. But when you meet in homes and you eat together, you can't hide yourself. You can't hide yourself. You have to be real. You have to be who you are. Maybe on a Sunday morning, you could walk in here and you could get off 
a good impression. And every Sunday you could do that for that hour-ish span. People could build an image of you. But if you're going to meet with them in their home regularly, the true you is going to come out. <laughs> Warts and all. <laughs> the true you is going to come out. The authentic you, the genuine you. And that's also something we value here. If you'll notice, we, we're kind of a, a non-GMO church, right? I mean, we, we don't try and do a lot of fancy stuff. We try and stick to a genuine, a genuine respect for worship, for God's word. We don't try and be too much of what we're not. When we're putting pictures up, it's not like we're trying to find the perfect filter to make us look pretty, right? We, we're trying to be a authentic in that community we have with one another. We're trying to live in that reality of who we are. Now, there's some challenge to that. Maybe since we're not maybe the sexiest church, maybe we don't get all the fancy um, Instagram and Facebook things and, and maybe the people don't pour in as fast. That's just not been our path. And we need to be okay with that and name it. We just we want to be real. I'm glad that each one of you are here. I don't want a church in which, for whatever reason, any one of you would feel like you no longer belong because they're not, they're not trying to be real. We have to be genuine and authentic. That's also the way in which discipleship will happen. If you're being real with where you are at, last week we talked about the math and the sticker, you are here. If you're being real with where you are at, then you can move. But if we're, if we're trying to pretend like we're something we're not and, and we're in a place that we're not, if we're trying to pretend that we don't struggle or have any sort of questions about faith, if we, don't, if we pretend that we don't have any questions about the church and, and what the church has done over time, and if we don't bring all that to the Lord and, and let the Lord work on it and get into conversation with leaders and, and preaching and Bible studies, if we're not real, we're never going to keep moving down that path of discipleship. We're not going to move from connect to commit to confess to commission. Okay, so we have one table. We dare to follow Jesus. We live in reality. Those are the three major things that your leaders step back, and after they have been sitting with this passage and looking at what we have been over the past decades, that's who we are. It all wraps around this idea of being this epicenter. Why? Jesus was a walking epicenter of the kingdom breaking into our world. Everywhere Jesus went, there were shock waves <laughs> radiating through and around him of the kingdom of God breaking into this world. In fact, the first thing that he begins to say as he starts his ministry is repent because the kingdom of God has, has come, has come near, has come near, has drawn near. I am here and in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is actually now coming into the world. And that means change and shock waves. It's, it was an epicenter wherever Jesus went of people being healed, of people hearing the authentic word of God, of lives being changed, and people, again, finding how they were created and designed to be. Ultimately, this would lead Jesus to the cross, to his resurrection, and that epicenter of the salvation of humanity. 
now as he leaves, as he ascends, and he points to the disciples, and he points to us, the church, what does he say? Last week we talked about this. Now it is your mission. What I came to do now is also I'm commissioning you to do it. That means that the church is now the epicenter. The church is now the epicenter of God's reconciliation in this world. From the cross, we're talking about people being reconciled back to God. And in community, that intimate community that the, these original under, understood, it's a, also that, that reconciliation of community, of brother and sisterhood, reconciliation of one person to another, and then to what we have been called to do and to be, ambassadors of our Lord Jesus, witnesses as a church and individually to that reconciliation in the world. Where the church, wherever the valley is going now, is we are actively um, filling out a team of ministry leaders here at the church. We already have Felipe uh, leading our worship ministry. We have Shana leading our youth ministry. Um, Bhagashree, who's been on maternity leave, ha has been in charge of our kind of like communications technology. And now we're also filling that out with um, directors for evangelism, discipleship, and children or families. And these, were, these will all be roles that are very part-time, but they're going to be on a team of people that we're going to be connected and, and in doing will be a church that leans into this original motivation and vision for Jesus. After 65 years, so much has changed in, in the world than when this church originally started. Maybe our strategies need, need to change. But our, what we were birthed to do from the beginning of be the presence of Christ right here in the West Valley and into the world has not changed. Our grounding on the word of God and daring to follow that vision of Jesus has not changed. For that reason, we've been making the changes in this church. For that reason, we're now filling out this director's team. And secondly, and you've heard me say this once before, as a, as a presbytery, we are also now imagining how we can plant churches throughout Los Angeles that have the same ethos, those same values, that same character as River of the Valley does right now. There's already a community in south, just south of downtown that I've been working with that we're going to have as a first um, site. And I'm working right now with three other church planters. And starting in two, three weeks, the very first commission lay pastor cohort training is going to begin in Spanish that I will be leading. So we'll have a Spanish way and then also an English route for people to be taking on starting new sites all throughout Los Angeles. And both the presbytery that we're a part of, of Mission, and the presbytery that starts in South LA going down to Mexico, the South Southern California Presbytery, have both endorsed this plan and are looking now at financially helping to bring this plan to life. What I ask for you is that you pray and then pray some more <laughs> that the Lord will be guiding our steps in the next few weeks. This is a critical moment for the life of your church, 
It's a critical moment for what the Lord might be doing throughout Los Angeles. My, my dream, our presbytery comes down to Canoga Park and to the north. Okay, you got the geography in your head? Canoga Park, north. So the very tip of north of Los Angeles. Southern California Presbytery starts just below downtown Los Angeles and goes south. There is not a single other eco-church in L.A. City. So between us and just south of downtown, not a single other eco-church. And there's no presbytery there. There's nothing there. Here's my vision. My dream would be that because of what we do over the next few years, we are forced to start a Los Angeles presbytery. That we've planted so many sites over the next five years that we now have to have a whole other set of a, a new presbytery because and we, we know this. The Lord is already going ahead of us to do this. If we are willing, like this early church, to engage intimately in community, to put everything we have out there and say yes, if we're willing to say yes to the community, saying yes to the Lord using us, it will happen. This, this, is, this is the story of churches throughout time. Leaning into the vision of Jesus, that's where he is. And it, this just came into my head. Remember the story of Peter on the water? Jesus was outside the boat. Peter had to say yes to going out of his boat and to walking on that water. We get that chance now to say yes. And for the next few weeks, again, I ask you, please, would you be in prayer for us? Prayer for your church. Because we have some crucial moments of, of putting the right people in the right positions over the next few weeks. Can you do that? Yes? <laughs> Amen? Let's pray right now for that. So, Lord, our prayer is that uh, just like you called those original followers and gave them a heart, for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, thank you for the way that you have called us and that you have given us a heart for what you're doing. Thank you for this, this journey that you have taken us on and, and for all the countless yeses that we have, we have seen people say over the past 10 years. Thank you for our one table. Thank you for those that, that we can live here in reality. And thank you for that daring and courageous spirit to follow your word. Lord, over the next few weeks, we are we're asking that you would guide our steps as a church. Bring the right people into positions of, of leadership. Continue to form the, the new church planters that, that will be um, participating in the commissioned lay pastor cohort. Lord, may your fire burn bright and hot. That, that would give us our perspective moving forward. Lord, guard our hearts. Guard my heart. Guard the church's heart. Guard our leader's heart against anything making this about our own effort or our own abilities. Lord, keep us connected to, to your sovereignty. Lord, help us to remain 
dependent. May our focus be upon you. And like Peter, in those moments that we begin to see the waves and the wind and sink, Lord, we are grateful ahead of time that you will be there to catch us. Asking us that wonderful question, why did you have doubt? Lord, we ask you to help us in our unbelief. We pray all this in your name, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.